Welcome to Optimal Self, the art of becoming the best version of you. Join us as we talk with extraordinary people who are on the journey to living to their optimal self. We dive deep into their minds to learn what they do on a daily basis to create optimal results. They share their tools and insights so you can implement them into your own life to become the best version of you. Here's your host, Jeremy Herriter. All right. Welcome back to Optimal Self Conversations, where we talk to incredible people who through adversity, grit, and persistence are forging the path to being the best version of themselves. And they join us to give you the tools to do the same. I'm honored to have our guest today. I'm not going to go into it. You guys know how I roll. I'm just going to get into a conversation. But uh, Travis and I met about a year ago, maybe a little less, but I met his dad about, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. And our paths crossed in this cool little arena of podcasting. Travis has built a huge network, literally called Build Your Network, and he's on to amazing things in uh, in the technology space with an app called Guestio. Trav, welcome, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Happy to be here, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> All right, my man. So check it out. Our audience is, is, look, they love the success, right? They love the stories. What you're building with Guestio, we're going to get to. But more than anything, they love the human that's behind that. So put a little context. Let's get a little background. Man, where did this all come from? Man, you got a huge, huge ambition to what you're set out to do. Where does that come from, man? Where does that fire burn from? You know, that's honestly a pretty good question because I I don't 100% have a really good answer for you. I just kind of always was hyper competitive growing up and I think that directly translated into basically anything that I've ever done you know, including board games or a game of pool or ping pong or whatever it is, you know what I mean? I just, I, I do not like to lose. And uh, maybe that's, maybe that's my family. My family's pretty competitive, but then again, you know, I have people I'm related to that aren't really that same way. So that's why I, I have asked myself that a question a few times where, you know, where the drive comes from, because it always perplexes me when I don't see that in other people, because to me, it just just kind of makes sense. It, to me, it's more like a, a logical way of, of living life. If we're here and we only get one shot at it, then why not do your best to make it the best life that you can have? And, and to me, that just makes more sense as a way to live. Yeah. So I, I, you know, when I find people that are not living their life that way, it more perplexes me than anything else. And so I've tried to ask myself that question and, and I don't really have a great answer except for maybe, you know, I might've had a chip on my shoulder coming out of the way that I grew up and things and and maybe had had a little bit more to prove to other people, uh, which I think can, uh, can really affect how it can affect how much work you're willing to put into something. You know, when you start thinking about proving the haters right and things like that, it's like, oh man, I, I can't let them, I can't let them win. I can't let them beat me. You know, let's go put another couple hours in or something like that. So, um, but I, yeah, I, I wish I had a better answer for you on that one, man. I really just don't. I, I just always been a highly competitive and I don't like to lose. And like I said, I, I think it's just a more sensible way of living life is that you, you only get one shot at this. I, I heard a quote one time uh, that I put up onto, uh, we kind of had like this like family values canvas that my wife printed off. And one of the things on there is a, a quote that, and I, and I might butcher it, but I'll, I'll give it my best shot here. It's something like, live your life as though you've already lived a life as recklessly as you're about to live this one. 
Mm. And uh, it really, really hit me because I was just like, that makes so much sense. Like, we're, like a lot of people live life as if we get another shot at it, mm. as if we're, we're going to be able to live another life after this one. And this one is the one that we're going to mess up on a bunch. And the next one will do the right things and we'll do all the things we say we're going to do. And we'll live life the way that we actually want to live life. But this life, this is just the screw around, do whatever I want life. Mm. And it's like, no, 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 You only get one shot at this thing. So stop living it recklessly. Live this life as though you've already lived one as recklessly as you're about to live this one. Mm. And uh, that one, that's kind of always stuck. with. Yeah, that's beautiful. Heck yeah. That definitely hits me as well. But you said there's two sides to this. When you say that you say you and you're competitive, my question or what comes to mind in somebody like you, who I, I know your successes, I've been around you, I've, I've sat in rooms with you to, to see how you lead, to see what you do. So here's my question. On the competitive side, are you competing against yourself or are you competing against others? I think if you would have asked me that question a couple of years ago, it would have always been against others. But I'm also, again, a fan of living this life the way that I want to. And and I found that happiness and fulfillment have little to do with your status compared to other people and a lot more to do with your status compared to who you were yesterday. And I, I try to have that be at the core of what I do. But that doesn't mean that I'm never thinking about other people because I'm still really competitive. And uh, I think it was Tom Billy that I was talking to one time. Uh, we were having a conversation on my podcast. And I kind of asked him that question in, in a little bit of a different way. And he goes, everybody needs the dark side is, is how he put it. He's like, you, you need the dark side. He's like, you don't want to spend a lot of time there and you don't want that to be your main driver and your main motivator. But every once in a while, I go to the dark side and you know, I, I forget what he said, maybe 10% or 15% of the time I live in the dark side. And he was like, I have a list of people. He was like, yes, I actually have a list of people that I look on when I'm feeling unmotivated or feeling like I want to, you know, stop working for the day or I want to quit early or something like that. And I'll go back and look at that list of people and, uh, and then remind myself that I'm not going to let those people win. And so I get back into it or something like that. And so I, I, I resonate a, a lot with that because it kind of gives you, you almost feel bad when you have some of these motivational people that are too, you know, woo woo and kind of in your face about that. And they're like, never spend any time in that world or in, in that position. And, and, and I, I agree a lot more with Tom in, in that sense where you got to kind of let that stir inside of you sometimes. And uh, Tim Grover talks about this all the time in, in his books. And if you don't know uh, Tim, he's Michael Jordan's trainer and Kobe Bryant's yep. trainer and talks a lot about the winning mentality and how to be relentless. And he talks about the dark side too. And, and that every winner that he's ever been around spends time in that dark side sometimes and, and lets that be a contributing factor to their success. And uh, so I, I do feel like I still compete with a lot of people just because I it's just the type of person that I am. But the majority of the time, I try to remind myself that, look, I'm not, you know, I'm not competing against that person. I'm not trying to do better than that person. I'm trying to give this my best shot against who I was yesterday and who I was the day before that. And I think that that leads to probably greater happiness and fulfillment overall in life. Yeah. So those listening, if you haven't, yes, Google <laughs> Tim Grover pick up Relentless, pick up the new one winning. They are 1000% worth the read. And don't look at them as... I always tell people, don't look at them as basketball books because it has nothing to do with basketball. Those guys you spoke of. And that's an interesting point, the dark side. So to be honest with you, I feel exactly the same way. To be clear, like most of my life now today, 
I do live in that in that positive world where I want to impact others, right? Mm-hmm. Where I'm constantly saying, "Man, what? How can we help these people? How can we do it better?" Those kind of things, right? Where where I'm truly competing against me. But make no mistake, don't ever take my smile for weakness mm-hmm. because yeah. it's that moment. So and now for you, right? Because we can go to that side, and here you are building what I believe. Again, this is just my personal opinion. I believe you have a billion dollar company at the forefront. I truly believe that. And here you are as a husband now, (laughs) a father, right? You got little ones running around. So we have all these people today because when they get to us, when they get to Optimal Soap, by the time they pick up, by the time they log in, by the time they call us and ask for help, we get them at the rock bottom right? People are like, they're like, I don't even know what to do with myself. I got to get out of this funk, right? And here's where I'm going with this, Travis, is that most people, it's time. And I'm like, I can't help you because I can't give you more time. You're going to get the same damn 24 hours every other (laughs) MF or gets. You're getting the same ones. You get the same ones you got yesterday. So here you are now. Look, it'd be easy. You were a single dude embarking on this. But that's not the true reality. And I want people to understand that. You got little kids. You got a wife. You have a wonderful relationship. It's a badass in her own right. And how do you, I don't want to say balance because I don't believe in balance, but how do you manage it? Not just how do I manage my time, Travis? How do you manage it mentally? Because most of people ask, say to us, I got dad guilt. I got mom guilt. I feel like, you know, like I'm pouring into this and am I giving enough here? So I want to know, I want people to get from you, a man who's built a huge build your network company, one of the greatest podcasts that's out there today. Check it out. But on top of that, now you've embarked on this other side. And yet the truth of you is you're a husband and a dad. Yeah, man, that's a good question. And, you know, so probably continue evolving the more I go down this path. But for me now, it's really about trying to prioritize the things that I absolutely need to do that are the highest leverage points of my time because, you know, I, I could be busy all day, every day, if I let that happen. You know what I mean? But will I let that happen or will I not let that happen? Will I draw lines for my time or will I not draw lines for my time? Mm-hmm. And and when I first got started, you know, before I had before I even had kids, yeah, but I was still married at the time, you know, I I had frank conversations with my wife at that point where just like, look, I'm I I gotta I have to put in this time here. I I have to be willing to do the go over and above and do all the things that other people aren't willing to do because I'm trying to get somewhere where other people aren't going. And so I gotta be willing to to make those sacrifices and put in that effort. But then as the tides began to shift a little bit and we started seeing a little bit more success come in, we at that point had to start saying no more often. At the at the beginning, I said yes to everything. Like anything that came to my plate, I was like, yes, 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 yes. I'll do whatever it is, you know, whenever it is, you know what I mean? Like I'm there because I'm trying to get this thing going. And then eventually, you know, the tides kind of shifted and we had to start saying no. And so now it's kind of mastering the art of saying no and learning what things to say no to and what things to say yes to. And I think that that comes from a couple of things. The core thing is clarity and it's clarity around a couple of things. And that would be what are the things that you enjoy doing and what are the things that you are disproportionately good at? What are the things that you can do that other people on your team would have difficulty doing or that you would find difficulty in finding your replacement to do those things for you? Or maybe it would be too expensive to hire that thing out or whatever it might be, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
what are the big needle movers that you can do and how can you replace yourself in all the other mundane tasks that shouldn't be demanding your time? Mm. And and once I got to that point, it was kind of a scary position, man, because like I, you know, I don't have a massive business in my, like, you know, uh, my, in my podcast world, you know, we started scaling that like a year ago. So it was pretty, pretty recent that we started doing a lot of these things, but, and it was scary when I first brought on my first couple of full-time employees, because if it's all on me, it's all on me. It doesn't matter. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was always the person that I, I didn't like having a boss. I've, I've had a, I've had one nine to five my entire life and it lasted for about five weeks. And I just never really liked people telling me what to, people tell me what to do, you know. So I've always just kind of done my own thing for me, for myself. But once I had employees, it was like, oh well, now there's other people that are depending on me. I can't be willy nilly about this. I can't just like take a couple of days off because I feel like it. If I'm the lifeblood of sales in the business, which is how you keep the business operating, like I can't just do that. I, I, I have responsibility to these other other people. But once we did that, it really started to allow us to start to scale up because it allowed me to have the freedom to work on the things that I did better than everybody else. And then everything else was done by the team that I was bringing on board. And we're experiencing that in a a much bigger way now with Guestio now because, you know, we were raising capital for for Guestio in our seed round and stuff. And so now we have a real budget to go out and hire people. And so we'll be up to like eight or nine employees in the next 30 days or so. And... All of that is me looking at all of the things that need to be done for Guestio in the next, you know, 90 to 180 days and saying, what, what can or should I be doing out of all of these tasks? And what should other people be doing out of all of these tasks? And then going and finding the best people that I can find to do those other things and allowing myself to work on the things that only I can do, or at least the things that only I can do to the extent that I can do them. And then when you really break it down, there's not that many things. You know what I mean? There's not that many tasks that, that you have to do. For a CEO, I had a mentor of mine told me there's basically three jobs of a CEO. And, and, and there's a bunch more other things that fit inside of these things. But there's basically three jobs of a CEO. Number one is to recruit, hire, and retain the best talent. Uh, number two is to set and effectively communicate the vision to all stakeholders. And number three is to keep enough money in the bank account at all times. Those are really the core three jobs of a CEO. And once I heard that, I kind of took it and ran with it because I was, you know, I still am trying to make the transition away from being, you know, kind of freelance business development salesperson, which is essentially what I've been for, you know, my entire career, whether it was in door-to-door sales or selling podcasts, coaching or courses or masterminds, or, you know, it was always just kind of like me and a couple people. And I was the driver of all revenue and sales and, and, mm-hmm. and everything like that. And so now it's kind of transitioning from being that person to being a CEO. And when I heard that, it was just kind of like, okay, cool. Like I can wrap my mind around that. Like those yeah. are my core responsibilities. Find people that can do the job better than I can and effectively communicate the vision to them so that they buy into it and catch it and then make sure there's money in the bank account, whether that means closing big accounts, selling big deals, or closing investors on giving you money for your idea and giving them a piece of the company, whatever that translates to. It makes my job a little bit easier when I know that those are the my core responsibilities. And then just about everything else, I delegate or outsource to other people and I trust them to do their jobs effectively, which I think is a, something that a lot of people struggle with. I don't struggle with that as much because I know that there's no alternative. The alternative is what? Me doing everything all the time? That's not a way that I'm going to be living my life. And that's not why I became an entrepreneur. I didn't become an entrepreneur so I could be a slave to my business like someone else is a slave to their 
their nine to five. Like I didn't like I didn't choose this path for that reason. And that's not to say that I won't hustle and make sure that things get done and that I won't go over and above. And I'm not saying that I will never wear another hat or blah, blah, blah. That's not what I'm saying. But the core of my responsibility is to make sure that other people are empowered to do that job to the highest capacity that they can do that job. And for me to be okay with the results that they push out, as long as they're achieving the things that we originally agreed that they would be achieving, right? And so uh, from that point forward, it becomes a little bit easier for me to draw clear lines in the sand of saying, hey, look, I'm done at this time because I have time with my kids set in my schedule. I'm done at this time because I have a date night set in my schedule. You know what I mean? And and so I live and die by my calendar, man. And and uh, I schedule kind of feels weird sometimes, but I schedule time with my kids and time with my wife in my calendar. So my assistant knows not to put things in those time blocks. How else is she going to know? It's her job to like manage my calendar, my schedule, but I can't get mad at her if she puts a bunch of stuff all over my calendar. I don't have time to spend time with my family. It's like, well, I didn't tell her to not do that. And it's her mm-hmm. job to make sure the company keeps pushing forward. And that means scheduling stuff on my calendar. So like, you know, I just have to properly communicate that with her, properly manage the expectations with my wife and, you know, let her know that, hey, sometimes like during these times, I have to be working. I can't be doing random trips to TJ Maxx or whatever. Like I got to be here and I got to be engaged and I got to be working. But at the same time, letting my assistant know that, hey, look, this time, like for instance, every morning from seven o'clock to nine o'clock, there's a time block in my calendar for time with my kids because that's when my wife goes to the gym. I go to the gym before that, I get home, she leaves, goes to the gym, and then the nanny gets there around 9 a.m. So from about 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock, I'm at home with the kids, and it's a big time block in my calendar. There's nothing allowed to be scheduled there. And then same thing from about 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. is dinner, getting the kids ready for bed, putting them to bed, uh, spending some time with them before we put them to bed and all that stuff. And then beyond 8 o'clock is just kind of whatever. But I would just say you have to be purposeful about it and you have to schedule that time in. And then when you are working, you have to be productive, not just busy. Don't just fill your time with a bunch of other random things because it feels at like you did something at the end of the day. Like you want to know, did I do something at the end of the day? Not did it feel like I did something at the end of the day. Um, and so uh, those are some of the things that help me. So I make sure that I, I'm doing the things that are within my zone of genius, the things that I can do that other people will not be able to do or at least won't be able to do as well. Um, And then I try to make sure I have like two or three things written down at the beginning of the day that I absolutely have to get done by the end of the day. And those are kind of like my big three items. And I know that if I get those things done, that it's a successful, quote unquote, successful day that I, I know that I got some things done and I'm moving forward toward, you know, the goals and projects that we have uh, set up on the calendar. All right. <laughs> so I'm going to just recap for the listener because there was so much gold in what you just said, because first and foremost, if you do not prioritize, life will pass you by. Like these things will go and you'll feel that's the overwhelm stage, right? So if anyone's listening and you feel overwhelmed with what it is, right? That it's because you haven't prioritized and you even haven't prioritized yourself. Cause I want people to hear, you didn't say this. So if I'm wrong, say something different. Basically from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. is your time. Meaning you go to the gym first, you get home, your wife goes to the gym. When that happens, that's your time, daddy time with the kids. And then at nine, when the nanny gets there, now I can transition into business owner. I can transition into CEO, leader, whatever that looks like. But you have, again, prioritized your morning. You've said, okay. And I know people get this all the time. And I think the morning routine 
for most is played out because so many people talk about it. But here's the difference. Very few actually do it. (laughs) There's a book on every shelf in every freaking place that they talk about it. Right. And I used to be that guy for sure. Like I I would do the morning routine like three days in a row and then talk about it as if like it's a part of my life. And then all of a sudden three (laughs) months go by and I haven't done it in three months, but three days, you know, like three months ago, I did it for three days. So that's like how I tell people, you know, so I finally got to the point where I was like, this is just straight up lying to people. So I I just got real honest. and I'd be like, ideally it goes like this, but a lot of times I drop the ball, you know, but the luxury of being able to choose whether or not I do that anymore went out the window once my daughter was born. You know, it just became impossible to get a workout in and get all the work done that I needed to get done. It just became impossible to do it without having a a strong structure in place. For sure. So with Optimal Self and the people that are that are our listeners, they know because I talk, I we call it it's one of ours is it's hundred or nothing. And I tell people either give it a hundred or don't. Like don't be at the gym on your phone checking emails in between sets. Like You can't do it. Neither one of those things will be the level that they can, right? Mm. And so it's crazy because every human has a ceiling, meaning some is higher than others, right? You know, Jeff Bezos' ceiling to get Amazon was higher than most, right? He still screwed it up and he's still screwing it up now. But just like you said, he leveraged his time, meaning he got the people in the right spots that could build out the company to get it where it was going because he couldn't do that. He's selling books on a card table out of his garage, right? Like, let's be clear on what this is. But with people listening, because we see these things, but we don't understand. And you you made it very clear. I have boundaries. I draw lines. And those things, I prioritize everything that I do, including my family. And I think that that's where people lose. I really, truly do. And I've been guilty of it. I tell stories all the time about times that, you know, I'm checking my phone and my, you know, my daughter basically called me on it, right? Paradigm shifting moments of your life. So I love every road of that. But I want you, you said something that hit me hard or that I want to dig deeper into. And you said, I go after my zone of genius. So can you please dig a little deeper and give us some context about what that is and and how that plays a part in your life. Yeah, sure, man. This is, I think, like a fundamental truth to understand if you're going to move away from being just busy into being more productive is understanding what your zone of genius is. This is kind of, to use the verbiage I was using earlier, this is the thing or things that you do that you're disproportionately better than, than other people and that you enjoy to a certain degree. People always ask me that question, like, what do you enjoy? Like, do you have to enjoy your work and blah, blah, blah. And and I think that you do to a certain extent. But bottom line, I was on family vacation last week. You know, it was one of the first weeks in a really, really long time where I I genuinely unplugged for a while. I didn't really, you know, my emails were piling up. I I didn't check a lot of things. I was making sure I was on the urgent things. But for the most part, I, I was pretty unplugged all week. And I enjoyed some whiskey and cigars with, you know, my cousins and uncles and and my wife and all of those things. And then when I got back, I was ready to get rolling again. But my point is, I'm never going to enjoy working more than I enjoy relaxing on the beach, smoking a cigar and drinking a whiskey. You know what I mean? Like, that's still going to be something that I enjoy more than working, right? But... I do think that you should, that your work should fuel you and uh, should not just drain you. And you should have some exciting things that you're working on. 
And I think that the reason a lot of people don't enjoy their work is because they're working outside of their zone of genius. They're doing a lot of things and they're, they're a slave to tasks that have nothing to do with what they're good at or what they enjoy because those tasks have to get done and they can't bring themselves to either spend the money to hire somebody to do those tasks or they can't let go of the control of letting somebody else do those tasks. Whatever the case is, you know, whatever excuse you're using, you should not be spending a ton of time outside of your zone of genius. And the majority of the time that you that you have to allocate to what you're doing should be spent in that time. And ideally, if you're the owner of the company or your CEO or you know the person in charge or whatever it is, a lot of times those are going to be the highest needle moving activities that other people can do. So for me personally, right now, I'm spending a lot of my time pitching investors and following up with investors and getting wires and bank information and and contracts and all that kind of stuff. And I'm spending a lot of my time doing that because I'm uniquely suited within my organization to do that thing. And it moves the needle bigger than almost any other task that I can focus on. If one of my core three jobs is to make sure there's always money in the bank account, then one of the easiest ways to fill up money in the bank account, not easy because raising money isn't easy, right? But uh, one of the most simple, you know, from an idealistic standpoint, things that I can do to do that is to go, you know, raise money for the company and give us a, a longer r- a runway that allows us to be able to, you know, maybe hire somebody that's a little bit more uniquely qualified to do their set of things and, and work in their zone of genius. But now I can afford to hire that person because I went and raised money from somebody because that was in my zone of genius, right? So like, instead of me spending time working on tech things, which is not my zone of genius at all, and instead of me trying to like learn a completely new skill set like product ownership or management and uh, try to learn how to build cohorts of users in Google Analytics and uh, test those cohorts against different groups and like instead of me trying to learn and master a completely entirely different skill set than the one that I have, I focus on the thing that I do well and that I know, which is sales and business development relationships which directly translates for me into investor relationships so that I can bring on more capital and then go hire somebody and actually be able to afford to pay them a good enough wage to hire somebody who's really good at that product management piece. You know, like it just doesn't make sense. People always feel like they got to go learn this new thing and, and they're like cheating the system if they don't go learn. It's like, no, 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 you're really good at a couple of things. Naturally, like you have some sort of natural inclination or proclivity for certain things that, you know, you're good at, that you've showed promise in. And a lot of times those are things that, are easier to work on because you enjoy them more. And then that kind of helps you propel even further beyond the regular group or the average, you know, skill set of other people. And so you need to work in those zones of genius and then find other people who have different zones of genius than you have and give them the other things that you're not capable of working on or that you don't have the time to be working on or where it doesn't make sense for you to be working on those mm-hmm. things. So we we're all built with different strengths, all different skill sets. So figure out what yours are, do the things that you're really good at, and then find other people to do the things that they're really good at. And sometimes that means a partnership. Sometimes that means hiring an employee. You know what I mean? Like if you're in a position where you're like, man, I, I can't afford to hire anybody. My company isn't the type of company that gets a lot of investors or, you know what I mean? Like, like I have a tech startup. A tech startup is a much easier company to get investors for than starting a landscaping business or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. Um, but can you go get somebody to partner with you who has an, a complementary skill set where they can work on their zone of genius and you can work on your zone. Like if you're really good at operations stuff, but you hate sales, maybe go partner with somebody who's really great at sales and hates operations. You guys go build something together. You know what I mean? The point is to find out, figure out the thing that you are disproportionately good at comparatively to other people and spend the majority of your time doing that thing or a couple of things. Like it's not going to be 23 things. 
For instance, you're not going to be the one recording the podcast interview and then editing the podcast interview and then taking the video and, and chopping it up into YouTube and putting in B-roll and then tagging it properly and then uploading it to the platform and then sharing it out and then sending a marketing email to your list. And like, If you're wearing all of those hats, that's how you get burnt out. That's mm-hmm. people get burnt out all the time because they're spending a ton of time in things that are not their zone of genius and things that just completely drain their energy. And then by the end of the day, it's like, man, I only... I only really got one thing done. I only really interviewed somebody. But because that also meant that I had to edit it and then share it over here and cut it up here and then find transcriptions and write show notes, because it meant I also had to do all of those other things. That was the only thing I did today, which is really the only really one task that I marked off of the things that I need to get done, which is the needle moving task of interviewing people. Like that's Mm -hmm. the needle moving task that you should be doing. All the other things should be done by somebody else, shouldn't be taking up your time. And you're going to burn out if that's what you're doing, all spending all your time on. And it prohibits you from doing more of the thing that you're good at, which moves the needle more than any other thing. You know, instead (laughs) of doing one interview a day, I could do four interviews in a day. I've done, I think the most I've done was nine or 10 interviews in a single day. But it's because if I had to do all that other stuff, there's zero chance I would be doing nine interviews in a day. But that's a much bigger needle moving thing that allows me to be able to spend time doing, you know, doing the things that I'm really good at. And then I find other people to do all the other stuff. Yeah, well said. There's so much truth. And here's the thing is, you know, the question that we would get if this were live is they would be like, well, how do I find my zone of genius? And so I want to give you a concept that we talk that I talk about a lot. I mean, I do it in keynotes that I've done all over is, is when you're starting out in anything, it doesn't matter. Give me the 18 year old kid just getting out of high school and he's jumping into his first job. Right. And I, and I've told this story before about a kid that I was coaching in the real estate business and he had to go into, he, he had to take a job because real estate is commission based only. He's 24. He had a little bit of limiting belief where people aren't going to use me because I look young. And he did. He looked like he was 15 and he was 24, but he had a rough, you know, got kicked out of his house at 18. His parents were like, cut him off like the whole nine yards. Like they said, nope, you're out. See you later. We did our job kind of thing. And so he was struggling and he called me and he said, Hey, I need, I don't think you're going to want to coach me anymore. I said, okay, tell me more. Right. And he says, I got to take a job. I applied at Staples. I got a job. And so are you getting out of real estate completely? He's like, no, no, this is what I want to do. I just need to make money to pay my bills so that I can. And I said, well, I applaud you for that. Thank you. Right. You're not trying to live off somebody else. You're not trying to don't do the whole fake it till you make it bullshit. Like, I love that you're doing that, but I'll keep you in one condition and one condition only. Whatever they ask you to do there, you do it the best that you can possibly do it. Meaning if they ask you to sweep the floor, You'd be the best damn sweeper they've ever saw in their life. You do it. You invent ways to sweep that fucking place. Like you just crush it, right? They ask you at two in the morning to come in and stack computers because they got a new shipment in. You fly over there and you reinvent ways. You'd be the first one there, right? And when that little guy, that partner guy is out behind the, the dumpster smoking weed, right? Just getting by. I said, you do everything at the highest level because here's what I believe. How you are here is how you are everywhere. This life, there's no switch to it. You don't just get to all of a sudden own Guestio and have a billion dollar company. And now I'm going to flip the switch and now I'm going to be a, a hustler and a good dude and a good this. Bullshit. Doesn't happen that way. And so what I heard you saying through that is, yeah, I found my zone of genius. I find those things. But I'm pretty sure when it, you know, like your first ever, you know, people that open a, a gym is always a good one because that was fun for me, open a CrossFit gym. But in those days, 
I was the salesperson. I was the janitor. I swept the mats. I coached the classes, whatever it took, right? Until we could get to the point where it was like, okay, get me out of that. I don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) I know I don't like doing that. You got to do some shit. Like you have to put yourself in those positions to know that that's not your zone of genius. You don't, I don't believe you. It doesn't find you. You create it by doing things. You create it by pushing the envelope, by getting after it. Then you are going to find those spots where you're like, you're just like me. I mean, what you explained me right there. This is what I love. Like I get to do this. Yeah. If I had to sit and actually cut it up and make sure the sound was right and adjust this, like my brain would explode. I would be, I would, I I wouldn't even do it. I'd be like, all right, Right. next job. Right. Like it's not for me, but I don't know that. But have I done that? Have I sat and done it? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. And then I knew, whoa, this is not my shit. Let me find somebody to do that. You know what I mean? And you've talked a lot about that. And and I think people get misconstrued on the fact that they believe like, oh, Travis just found it. Well, no, he found it by doing shit, by pressing the envelope, by going after things. And you said it in there. I hope people heard you said, yeah, I had a job. I went and got a job because that was what I, and I'm pretty sure it was in the sales business. I think I heard you speak on it before, right? And you were like, uh, yeah, this is not what I want to do. But you would have never known that had you not gone for it. Yeah, exactly. And and to your point, that's exactly how I know that sales is something that I've been pretty good at comparatively to other people is that I you know, did door-to-door sales for like six years and knocked on thousands and thousands of doors. I think sometimes people get the idea that like this is something that you're just naturally good at. And, you know, if you don't show talent in any of these things, that that means that you just don't have a zone of genius and you're doomed for failure. That's not what I mean by that at all. No, it just means that like, you know, what? when I first started in sales comparatively to every other person, for some reason, I had a little bit of an advantage. I don't know what it was like. I just maybe communicated better, maybe understood persuasion at a high level in some context or something. I don't know what it was, but like, Maybe it was, I was just willing to put in more hours than other people were willing to put in. I, I don't know what it was, but all I know is that when we first started, I would hit the top of the leaderboards in sales. And I was like, oh, this seems pretty cool. But I didn't just stop there and go, oh, well, I'm just really good at sales now. You know what I mean? Like it was a <laughs> right. constant, continuous working on that craft and becoming better at it and getting around other people that were better at it than I was. And then learning from them and then reading books about it and listening to podcasts about it and continuing to learn and grow and become better at that and continuing to give myself a little bit more of an edge on the other person. You know what I mean? So it's not just like something that, you know, that you can just uh, coast with that. That is not what I mean by that. It's just, it's something that you might be just, like I said, it's a disproportionate advantage. Like you, 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 you're a little bit better at this. or You tend to enjoy this more. And that's why you got to, you got to look at kind of that enjoyment level a little bit, give that a little bit more weight in the right. early days, because if you enjoy something, it's easier to work on it. And it's easier to put in a lot more work than other people are willing to put into it. If you, those are the people who are the best in the world at what they do are the people who were talented and gifted at what they do, but then also put in more work than anybody else was willing to put in. That's how you end up with the Kobe Bryant's and the Michael Jordan's and the LeBron James's. Like they're gifted athletes, of course. You, you can't deny that. But everybody in, in the NBA is a gifted athlete. Everybody playing D1 anything is a gifted athlete. If you're playing D1 anything, you're a gifted athlete. It's beyond that. It's nothing but but mental toughness and hard work that puts you beyond what everybody else is doing and allows you to live in, in that zone of genius. You know, So um, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, man, you you make a good point there. And I think it was Tim Grover, I was talking about the talent and hard work. And people get these things 
confused Mm -hmm. is because they look at somebody and they go, oh, he's just talented. She's just talented. But they've never seen the work that is put in hours and hours and days and sacrifice. And so they look at their current talent, meaning now I see them at the Olympics. I see them on TV and I immediately go, oh, they're just talented, which honestly is not always true. It's actually not. Is there some talent? Sure. But a lot of that talent is cultivated through the hard work. And here's what Tim said. He said, everybody has a a certain level in whatever it is you choose to do. And most people quit before the talent matters, before Mm -hmm. true talent matters. Because again, the NBA, no, 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 no. You have to be talented. You have to have some gifts, right? Right. You got to be genetically, you got to be almost a certain size. You know, you got to be able to jump a certain way. You got to have certain dexterity and, and body control. Like, sure, sure. But most people quit before talent really even makes a difference Mm. because they don't go for the hard work. And we all think it's talent. And at a young age or in, in the beginning, it's bullshit. The talent is almost it's almost worse for you to be ultra talented because when the talent actually equals out and you've never had to work hard, those are the kids, those are the people that fall off Yep. because it was always just given to them, right? Give me the guy who's worked his tail off to get here and he's got a shot, man. So I I love the way way that you said that. I want to spin a little bit here because you said something about books and you've made reference to it, you know, YouTube and all these different things, but you used the term that I really want to dig into in its mentors. And how do you feel about them? How do you find yours, right? Like what, how did that work for you and and get you where you are today, if it did at all? Yeah, definitely. Mentors for me was probably the best way that I learned is through mentorship. I read books and I listen to audio, listen to podcasts and stuff. And certainly those are all basically mentors. You know what I mean? A, A book is nothing but a mentorship from the author. Essentially, it's a compilation of their learnings and experiences over a long period of time that will help you avoid some of the pain points that maybe that they've come across, you know. But in terms of actual people and relationships, yeah, when I look back, there's clear mentors in my life that I actively would seek out because I understood the proximity principle, the law of association. I understood that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And and I understood that what I was trying to do and what I am still trying to do, it's all already been done. There's nothing new under the sun. It's all already been done by people who are seemingly regular people. You know what I mean? And and, and so if, if they can do it, I can do it. It's probably just easier to figure it out if I go get around them and ask them how they did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Instead of me sitting here trying to make guesses and, and all that stuff, you know, it doesn't mean that I can't do it that way. It just means it's going to take a lot more time to do it that way. Sure. And I mean, time is the ultimate asset that we have in life. You know, money is by definition replenishable. Time is not. It's the only thing that we can't replenish. And so anything that's going to save me time, it's going to shave months or years or weeks off of my learning curve. Why wouldn't I try to actively seek that out? Even if it means that I have to exchange some of my renewable assets like money for that uh, mentorship or that uh, shaving off of time, I still think it's worth it almost 100% of the time, assuming that the person that you're investing with is a really, you know, good quality person, then they want to see you succeed in life, you know? So yeah, mentorship has been a part of, you know, even from my door-to-door days, that was how I learned the most was just go get around the top producer, learn what they're doing, reverse engineer it, apply it, and then put in the work and do it over and over again. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. I think too many people 
too many people discount themselves mentally if mm-hmm. they don't figure it out or if they're not the, and it just doesn't, that doesn't even make sense to me because you're, even if you do figure it out on your own, you haven't figured out anything new. Right. It's all the same. So why not just learn it from somebody who's already done it? <laughs> like to me, it just makes so much more sense. So I'm a huge believer in mentors and it's been probably my number one source of, of learning because it, to me, it's more than just learning. Like if, if I read a book, there's nothing that's holding me accountable to applying the principles that I read in that book. But if I learn something from a mentor, I don't want to disappoint that person because they're, you know, by definition, somebody that I look up to and that I respect or admire in some regard. And so I don't want to, I don't want to disappoint that person. And I don't want to, I don't want that person to think that I'm just a tire kicker. I want that person to know that like, Hey, this, if I spend time with this Travis kid, it's going to come out profitably in some regard. He's actually going to do the things that I tell him to do, you know, and and that's been a, a huge contributing factor to my ability to get around people who are operating on just exponentially higher levels than I am. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And the people listening know that listen in, I talk about that consistently. Like I constantly, you know, you said it earlier about, again, I'm competitive, but I'm competitive with who I was yesterday. But every now and then I got to dig into the dark side and go, no, man, that guy over there, I'm going to kick his ass. Like, no way he's not beating me. (laughs) Like, let's do this. Right. Like, and I feel the same way, but you've kind of segued me into the part of the show where I call it quick hitters and you kind of segued into it. And I thought you were going to go there. I'm glad you stopped because I wanted to ask the question. So I'm just going to give you a word and I want you to, I want you to tell me, you know, how it affects you and where you see it in your life. And, And the word that I start with, with everybody is impact. And two things, is there something that has impacted you that drives you? And also what is the impact that you want to leave? Uh, yes, there's, I mean, so many things that have, that have impacted me seeing the results that other people, uh, see, which is why I love podcasting so much as it both a host and a, a listener is that I get to hear about impact from other people and I get to hear about other people's stories and how they were able to impact the world and coming from a, a background that's a lot worse than my own background and, and, there, there's so much inspiration that comes alongside of of those types of things because it you know most of the time man like most of the successful people that I've interviewed didn't have like you know an upper middle class upbringing and a scholarship to an Ivy League school with a great job lined up afterwards like the majority of the people that I've talked to that are ultra successful did it a different way and used a different path and and so those stories stories impact me a lot and then the impact that I want to leave on the world. I can't really say, I can't really articulate numbers and things like that because it seems like it's always changing. You know, when I first started, I was like, oh, I want to impact, you know, a million people and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, why limit myself to a million people if it's possible to <laughs> impact more than that? You know, sure. Um, so, so I feel like now it's more just like, I want people to have a positive thing to say about me after leaving my life or having been in my life or being a part of my life in some regard that when they leave, they have something good and positive to say about our interactions with each other. And I know that I've not always done that. And that's something that drives me is to that that's something that drives me to continue to learn and grow and become a better version of of myself is when I look back at some of the relationships that I've burned because I was acting in a selfish way or not thinking long term about impact or something in that regard. And I'm thinking more about my short term selfish desires and I treat a relationship a certain way and then it's gone and it's done. And I know that that person is not saying positive things about me. 
And sometimes they're totally right in doing that, even though I don't think you're right in talking crap about people in general, but you know what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, so I think the impact that I want to leave on the world is basically just, you know, that any interaction that I had with with Travis or whether it was just listening to his podcast or I met him at an event or, um, or we're actually pretty good friends, whatever it is, I just want it to be like, yeah, the, Travis is a good dude and, and positively impacted my life. And then, you know, when I talk more about my kids, that's more of like the legacy that I want to leave sure. in the world and uh, set them up to have even more successful life and, and happiness and fulfillment than I would even be able to have. And so definitely has a lot to do with my kids, but in a more broad sense, it would just be to leave most relationships better than I found them. Well said, well said. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Dr. Stephen Covey, and one of those chapters is Begin With the End in Mind. And he talks about just what you said, right? Is that you know, you're walking into this cathedral and there's all your friends and there's all your workers and there's all your family members and you realize it's your, it's your funeral. Mm-hmm. And one person from each one of those groups is going to go up there and talk. And what do you want them to say? You know, it's, it's a little morbid. I use it with my clients and we, and I call it the Google review. And I say, all right, write me the Google review that you want people to leave. What do you want him to leave? And you kind of said it right there. You said, yeah, I want people to say, hey, Travis is a good dude. And, you know, he impact, you know, and it's easy for us to do. And I want the listener to understand that is write your Google review and then you can look at it every day. And now remember when we talked about that first zone of genius or that first boundary that you set or you prioritize whatever words you put on that, that sheet, whatever words you wrote, now you got to go be it. And if that's the thought, if that level of awareness, which you have in spades and is, is I hope the listener can get that. And my final word for you today is discipline. And the reason is, is because running companies, being a dad, like all the things we talked about prioritization, but when you hear the word discipline, how does that hit you and, and what comes to mind? Well, to steal Jocko Willink's line, discipline equals freedom. And yeah. I truly believe that to be the case. It's basically just doing the things that you know you should do, even if and when you don't want to do those things. There's there's a book called The One Thing, which I'm sure you're familiar with being in Keller Williams' world. Gary Keller and, and Jay Papazan uh, wrote. And one of the things they talk about in there is habit stacking. And it was something that I found super intriguing because... Growing up, I would see people that would seemingly have a really large amount of discipline. And I guess enough studies have been done on it to kind of debunk the idea that other people are just, well, they just have more discipline than than others do, where they're gifted with more discipline or that's one of their strengths or whatever. And really, it just came down to everybody has right around the same amount of discipline. It's just that some people have learned how to discipline their discipline and turn that into rules by which they live their life. And we all have the same amount of, you know, decision-making power, essentially, on a daily basis, give or take, you know, a few points, plus or minus a few points. And every time you make a decision that was difficult to make, you're kind of digging into that, right? Like getting up early when you didn't want to get up. Okay, you took a little bit of a dig here. Okay, I need to journal before my day starts, but I don't feel like it or I don't have time. Okay, you took a little bit. You made yourself do it. You, you, you know, subtracted a little bit from, from your discipline. And, and then, you know, by the time it's 8 p.m., and you've used all of your discipline bank for the day and uh, you're trying to decide what to eat for dinner. And it's like, ooh, maybe I can get pizza and a beer. And now you're at 8.39 p.m. having something you know is bad for you that you know is going to not feel good in the morning. You know it's not good for your health. 
but you used up all your discipline all day to do all these other things. And so one thing that I really took away from that book is learn how to discipline the discipline that you have on a daily basis and give yourself a break. It's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to go from waking up at 10 a.m. eating pizza and all that kind of stuff to tomorrow waking up at 5 a.m., going to the gym, meditating, journaling, and then eating broccoli. It's not going to happen overnight. You only have a small amount of discipline. Focus on the big needle movers first and then start stacking those habits on top of each other. And then when you look back in two, three, four, five, six years from now, now you're getting up at five every day and you're journaling and you're meditating and you're you're done eating by 6 p.m. and it's usually a healthy meal and you drink 100 ounces of water and, and, and you look back at all those things that you did and it's like, well, you know, that over a long period of time, it appears as though you're more disciplined than everybody else. But really, it was just that you were strategic about disciplining the small amount of decision-making discipline that you have into creating a life where it's easier to make the decisions that you need to make. Because if it's a habit, it's no longer a decision. It doesn't take as much of your decision-making ability. It doesn't take as much discipline to make that decision because it really isn't a decision at this point. It's just a habit. I just do it. It's kind of part of my routine. It's what I do. You know what I mean? So and over a long enough period of time, once your habits become your identity, that's formed in you. That's something that that isn't going to change very easily. You know, like, a, for instance, I, I've never been an early riser in my life. I got suspended twice my senior year of high school for being late to school too often. Like I, I was, I lived three minutes from campus. I'd wake up, school started at eight. I'd wake up at like 7.43, throw on some clothes brush my teeth, do my hair, and then speed to school, get there four minutes late, have to go get a, you know, a tardy thing from the office or whatever. And uh, about a year ago, I started getting up early, started getting up to go to the gym, I don't know, like 5 a.m., 6 a.m., somewhere in there. And then my daughter came, I was doing 75 hard. I was trying to get all the things done for 75 hard. Um, I was starting my software company. My daughter came, this was all in like a 90-day period. I started getting up at four. And then just started kind of getting addicted to getting up at four all the time and all, all the time, all the time, all the time. And then the last few weeks, I was on vacation and I uh, I got really sick a couple weeks ago and I was traveling and stuff. And so it messed up my schedule completely. And then, you know, coming back into this week, I was just like, well, do I have to continue to get up at four? Because that's pretty early. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but I've been adopting this identity for so long because people uh, on interviews like this ask me when I get up and I tell them four. And then people ask, you know, uh, other contexts, all of a sudden I'm saying I'm getting up at four and I get up early and all this other stuff. And that's now become beyond just a habit, it's become part of my identity. It's it's who I am. And so now I can't even think about not getting up at that time because like I've convinced myself that's who I am. And am I really going to live out of consistency with who I believe myself to be? Because that doesn't lead to happiness either. You know what I mean? Yeah. So once you discipline that small amount of discipline you have to create habits that form your identity, like I said, over a long period of time, you have to be patient with yourself. You know, this morning, literally this morning, I slept in. I slept until like 8.30 this morning. And sometimes... <laughs> I need to do that. Like if my body's screaming at me that like, hey, you need some sleep. I took like a two and a half hour nap yesterday and I slept in like four hours past when I usually do this morning. I think my body needed a little bit more sleep and it was telling me like, hey man, it's time to sleep. You know what I mean? But tomorrow my alarm's set for 4 a.m. You know, so it's just, you got to give yourself a little bit of grace uh, while also, you know, not allowing yourself to have two days in a row of of lapsing or, or whatever that might look like for you. But I mean, discipline is freedom and the life that you want to live is on the other side of discipline. And so it's up to you to discipline that small amount that you have every day into forming those habits, into forming your identity. And over a long period of time, you'll end up where you want to be. Yeah, man. The people here know habits stack. I talk about it consistently and our principles start with the easiest things because I know if you can do that, there's a great book called The Book of Five Rings by the old, it's a samurai written in the 1600s, Miyamoto Musashi. 
And in there, he says, there's a quote and he says, it's on my thing right here. It says, if you know the way broadly, you will see it in everything. And as you read through what he's saying is excellence in anything increases your potential in everything. So if you can just get up at four, just that, right? Like we're not even talking about what do you do next? Just consistently do that. The next thing will be, oh, I got to get to the gym and then I got to, okay. And then once I get to the gym, it's like, okay. And now I start to put these little things together. Now I got a plan, right? And Monday is this and Tuesday is it. Like, But the first thing is the first thing, right? It goes back to like you opened with this prioritization. And, and I truly, truly believe excellence in anything increases your potential in everything. So what can I do? What is that thing that I can do that I can do consistently? Because you said you you made reference to it also the word we hear all the time is confidence but confidence is only earned mm-hmm. there's no such thing as confidence if you haven't earned it and That's called narcissism <laughs> right the word <laughs> and the thing that leads to confidence is competence so i got to get good at something whatever that is once you can do that thing once you can do that like you said it leads to being habitual Once it's a habit, it's no longer a decision. It's already done. It becomes my identity. There is a track that these things follow. And let's build our identity. We get to create that. We do. It's not about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. And you made so many, so many great points, Travis. I love it, man. I love it. It's really great. Appreciate it, man. All right, man. Let's, uh, if people want to follow along, I mean, where do they get Travis at the highest level, man? Where do you want these people to go to to help you in any way? I mean, with Guestio, whatever this looks like, man, What? how can we best benefit you for your time today? Yeah, I man, I think the probably best place to go is just my website, travischapel.com. You can find basically everything that I do over there. You know, all the things that we have going on on my social media, podcast, all that stuff can be found over at travischapel.com. Well, man... I got uh, nothing but love and adoration for you. I'm glad our lives have crossed and they will continue to cross, man. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for coming on. And uh, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, get your ass out there and be the best version of you. Subscribe to Optimal Self wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more information on how to be the best version of you, visit OptimalSelf.today and follow at OptimalSelf1 on Facebook, at Optimal underscore Self on Instagram, and subscribe to Optimal Self on YouTube. Thank you for listening.